want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you will, to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1. And I am thankful for not just the beautiful pulpit, but also the chance to get to preach to you this morning from it. It's more important is the, the word that will be preached. And I hope that you'll give heed when the word of God is preached, it is God speaking. It's not my voice that's God's voice, but it is the word that we hear that is God's voice. And I want you to see some truths this morning as we look at this passage concerning spiritual success. A lot of people look for success in life. They think success is a variety of things. For some people, it is uh, financial. If I can just achieve a certain level of financial success, if I can achieve financial independence, then I am successful. For some, it's meeting the expectations of those that they love, their mom or their dad. They're trying to measure up. They're trying to be, I want to make my dad proud of me. I want to make my mom proud of me. I want to achieve this. I want to have success. For others, it's an accomplishment in life. It might be a, a degree in, in academics, or it might be a position in the community, or it might, be, uh, it might be achieving something on the job, getting a promotion. And we identify those things as success. And many of them are good things. They're not necessarily bad things. But I believe that the Bible teaches that there is a spiritual success. And spiritual success is simply being what God wants us to be and doing what God wants us to do. How do we, how do we define that? Well, here's a very simple definition. You've heard it from me before. But here's a simple and I believe biblical definition of what spiritual success is. Spiritual success is accomplishing God's will, God's way, in God's timing, by God's power, for God's glory. Let me say that again because I really want you to, I want you to get that. You'll hear me say that as we go through because as we go through the book of Nehemiah, we're going to be looking at seven steps that are necessary for us to reach this destination. But this destination that we are looking to is doing God's, accomplishing God's work, God's way, in God's timing, by God's power, and for God's glory. You replace God in any of those stages, any of those aspects with my, and you've you got a recipe for disaster. If you say, well, it's God's work and I'm, I'm accomplishing God's purpose, but you're doing it your way. Or you're doing it in your timing. You don't understand that God's timing is not always our timing. How many of y'all have ever gotten ahead of, wanted God to hurry up with something that God didn't hurry up with? Three people, that's okay. The rest of y'all are... How many of y'all have ever been pushed ahead by God when you wish God would slow down a little bit in what's taken place? So we understand that God's timing is not... But doing it in God's timing, patient with His timing, or patient that He's pushing us in it, and doing it by His power, doing it in His Spirit, not by power nor by might, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. It is the Spirit of God that accomplishes it. I can do some of God's work in my own strength, but without the power of God on what I'm doing, then nothing of eternal value will ever be accomplished. And so it has to be done for, with God's power, by God's Spirit, but it also has to be done for His glory. Do you know that you can do a lot of good things, you can do God's work, and you can do it for your own glory? That's not success. Spiritual success, doing God's, accomplishing God's work, God's way, 
in God's timing, by God's power, and for God's glory. As we look at this, I want you to see this process in Nehemiah's life. What is this success? What is this purpose that is to be accomplished? For some, it's, it's for individuals. There's spiritual success for families. There's spiritual success for a church. Us as a church being what God has called us to be. And my desire as we look at this truth is that as a church, that you'll see this as individuals, you'll see this for your family, but we will also get a grasp of this for us ourselves as a church, that we want to be the church that God has called us to be. Not what others would look at and say is successful. You know, there's the great ABCs of success in church life. There's attendance, there's, um, there's um, buildings, and then there's cash. That's the three things, the offerings. How are the offerings doing? Are they building buildings? Do they have great attendance? And I can look this morning and I can see a great group of people here. And you give generously and the offerings are good and our chest of Joash offering in a few weeks will be wonderful. And we're building a children's building. So look, we're great. Things are going great. But we can have all of those things and not have the presence and the power of God in our midst. If that's the case, then we're not what God has designed for us to be. We're not accomplishing that purpose. You can do a lot of good things in your life as individuals. You can have a strong, solid family. But I'm talking about true spiritual success of being what God has designed for us to be. It begins with a burden. We will see seven steps. We will see that a burden moves to a vision, and a vision progresses to a plan, and then from a plan to the details and the, the provision, and then the provision accomplishes or helps us set our goals, and then goals require focus. It's easy to get distracted from God's work and what God is doing in our lives, and then there has to be persistence, there has to be determination. But it starts with chapter 1, what we see in Nehemiah's life. It starts with a burden. I want to ask you first this morning, what are you burdened about? I suspect that nearly all of us past a certain age have burdens and things that we're concerned about. You know, you move from that time in your childhood when your biggest concern is, um, you know, what am I going to have for lunch? Am I going to get the sandwich that I want for lunch? Or is my brother going to get a bigger sandwich than I get? That's, that's the big concerns that we have as children. But then you reach adulthood, and even before adulthood, in your teen years, you begin to carry burdens, and you're concerned about this, and this is what I want to see happen, and this is, what, this is the care that I carry. What, is your, what are you burdened for? Does your burden include your concern for who you are spiritually? Does it concern, are you concerned about the well-being of your soul? There are some people that are concerned about their physical health, and that's perfectly normal. They're concerned about a lot of other earthly things. But what should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The important thing for us is, what is the case, what is the state of our soul? What is the health of our soul? We need to be burdened about that. We need to be burdened about the spiritual condition of others. So how do we have this burden? I want you to see in the life of Nehemiah, I want you to see that he moves, God moves him through five levels of a burden. And I want you to evaluate and ask yourself as we go through this this morning, at what place is my burden, 
for my spiritual condition. I sat with someone recently and they came and they said, Pastor, I've rededicated my life to Christ. Now I want to know, I want to take the next steps. I want to know what to do. I was saved years ago and I really wasn't all that concerned. I really wasn't all that bothered by the Christian life. Going to church occasionally on a Sunday here or there was perfectly fine. But now I want to know what I need to do. God has placed within their heart a burden for their own spiritual condition. And then a what is your burden? What level is your burden for the spiritual needs of others, those around you, the lost in your community, the lost in our world? What are these five stages? As we begin this chapter, let me give you quickly just about a 30-second setting of this. Nehemiah is a Jew who lives in Persia. He lives He is part of those who have been taken into captivity years before, and he is a descendant of those he has been taken away, and they have been taken from the land of Israel. When they are taken from the land of Israel, from the land of Judah, into Babylon, the city is destroyed, but Nebuchadnezzar takes only the elite. He takes the best, and he takes them in stages. You'll remember in the book of Daniel, he takes Daniel and his friends because they are part of the elite. They are part, they are educated. They are part of the royalty. And so he takes them to to develop them into leaders. And so he leaves behind the poorest of the people. He leaves behind those that he would value as not important. They have no significance, and so he leaves them behind. Now, Nehemiah is serving in the king's palace. He is the king's cup bearer. It's a pretty important thing. It's not just him holding a cup, and when the king wants a drink, here's his drink. It is his job to make sure that nothing is put into that cup that the king doesn't want to drink. And I'm not just talking about his choice of beverage. I'm talking about the fact that very often, if you wanted to kill a king, you put poison in his drink. And so Nehemiah is making sure that the king... Uh, doesn't drink anything that he shouldn't drink that would be harmful to him, nothing that he eats. He's over his household. He's really also sort of like the secret service. He's there to protect the king. The king has to trust him implicitly. He has to value Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah is serving there. And as he's serving, we begin in verse 1. I want you to see this text this morning. Follow along as you, as you read. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. These travelers, his brother and some other men, come, and they've been to Jerusalem, they've been there, feet on the ground, they've seen the situation, and Nehemiah asks the question, Tell me about what's going on. In this, we see the first level of a burden, and that's the bird, That's the level of care. Nehemiah asks the question because he's concerned. He cares about what is taking place in the land of Judah. He cares about what's taking place in Jerusalem. Now, there are a lot of people who are going through life that they just really don't care. They just... They are oblivious to what's going on around them, and they're unconcerned. They're unconcerned about their spiritual needs. They're unconcerned about the spiritual needs of those around them. They just really could not care. But I firmly believe that most Christians are at this level of care. They, it matters to them. 
They may not live like it always. They may not act like it always. But deep down, they care about their spiritual condition, and they have a care for those around them. Nehemiah acts on that, and he says, tell me about it. He asks a question. Do we care? Do we, are we perfectly satisfied with where we are? Are you satisfied with where you are spiritually? I'm not just talking about the number of times you come to church. I'm talking about your walk with God. Do you take time to stop and think where and to evaluate where am I in my relationship with God? Nehemiah asks a question, but he moves. There has to be more than care. Care isn't enough. There are many people who care, but they never reach the second stage of a burden, the second level of a burden, and that is the level of connection. The level of connection. In verse 2, he said, um, Hannah and I, one of my brethren, came, certain men. I asked them. Verse 3, they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Now, as we make this connection, Nehemiah takes it past just Oh, I'm concerned about it. Now he's going to connect with the problem. He's going to have a connection. He's going to know a little more about it. Now he overcomes the danger of isolation. Many of us are perfectly happy not to know what's wrong. We like being oblivious. We like not... Because if we don't know what's wrong, we don't feel responsible for doing anything about it. And Nehemiah could have done that. Nehemiah is thousands of miles away. Nehemiah's in the palace in Shushan, and he's serving, and he's busy. He doesn't have time. It's far away. It doesn't matter. Yes, I care. Of course I care about Jerusalem. It's my homeland. Of course I care about Judah. Of course I care about my family. Of course I care about my spiritual life. Of course I care about my church. But do we care enough to know what is it specifically that needs to be done? I know parents who are, have got their heads stuck in the sand about the spiritual needs of their children. I know Christians who have turned a blind eye to the sin that needs to be dealt with in their life. They're cold and they're apathetic toward God and the Holy Spirit is speaking to them and they turn a deaf ear they do not want to hear. We can isolate ourselves from the problems. We can isolate ourselves from the truth. He's out of touch with the people. He's living in a palace. He's wealthy. These people are poor. The only connection that he has is that they are from the same tribe. They are the same people. And he very easily could have remained as he was. He had lived a comfortable life up to this point. He had a very fulfilled life. But God is is exposing him to a truth of something that needs to change. And this morning, God may speak to you. The Holy Spirit may point to your heart and say, that needs to change. That's why I really believe that for all our talk about revival, that there are many Christians who could care less if we ever had another true revival. And I don't mean scheduling services. That's perfectly fine. Look, I've been to a lot of revivals in my life. I've been to hundreds and thousands of revival services And I know what it's like to go into a service and you sit there and you're fine. You can walk out and you can enjoy the message. You can enjoy the music. You may even feel a tingle up your spine and you walk out unchanged. And some of you come this morning and you sit and you've enjoyed the music and you've been blessed by being in the house of God and you're hearing the Word preached. 
but you can isolate yourself from the truth of what God is actually saying to you about your spiritual condition. Nehemiah overcomes this danger. You know, sometimes that, that isolation is intentional. We purposely, we purposely hide ourselves from it. But the danger of isolation, he makes a decision to initiate in verse 2. He makes the inquiry. He puts forth the effort to connect. He says, I want to know. I want to know. Are we willing to say to God this morning, God, I want you to point out to me the things in my life. I want you to point out the hidden sins. I want you to point out what's wrong. I'm afraid we don't ask that question. And I'm afraid that many Christians don't really want to see revival because they know that if they expose themselves to the truth of what's going on in their life, they're going to have to do something about it. They're going to have to repent. They're going to have to confess. They're going to have to go to someone and make things right. They don't want the bitterness, as we saw last week, they don't want the bitterness exposed because they'll have to go and repent and apologize and make things right with a brother or a sister. They'll have to deal with the situation in their family. They'll have to deal with that neighbor. And we just simply, it's easier to be say I care about my lost neighbor than it is to actually walk across the street and share the gospel with them. It's easy to say, I want revival. It's another thing to get on our face before God and pour out our heart and cry out, God, revive me. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, that's standing in the need of prayer. It's easy to care, but do we connect with it? And he makes that decision. We've got to be ready for the discomfort of information. He hears things that are not pleasant to hear. The wall is burned down. The city's in ruin. The people are a reproach. When the Holy Spirit begins to point out to us, you need to change. You need to make that right. I remember being in a service as a young boy where a man got up and he walked out of the service and people were a little disturbed by it. But God had spoken to his heart and he said, before I can continue in this service, I had to go and I had to find a neighbor and I had to go and make things right. Why? Because that information. And we hide from it because it makes us uncomfortable. It's like when we're watching television and we see shows and we see um, advertisements about hungry children around the world and it's easy for us to block that out. It's easy for us to hide from that, that discomfort. It makes us uncomfortable. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to us through our devotions, and He speaks to us through the preaching of the Word, and He speaks to us through, through His Bible, through the Scriptures, and it convicts us, it's easy for us to close our ears to that because that information is going to make us uncomfortable. And Nehemiah says, I'm willing to hear something that's, that's not comfortable in order to do something about it. Many, however, are willing to stop right there. They, they reach a point of, of sort of acceptance. We do a little bit or we, we sort of salve our conscience and we ignore it. Well, it's not as bad as this person. It's not as bad as that person. And we're settled about it. Nehemiah is not willing to do that. Nehemiah is willing to move on to a third level, and that is the level of compassion. He not only cares about it, he not only connects with it, now I know more about it, it moves him to compassion. Do you see this in verse 4? 
This is the impact it has. This is what the burden does. And this is maybe where some of you are this morning. You know the need in your family. And it's moved you to tears and it's moved you as this will move uh, Nehemiah. Maybe you're concerned enough about a lost family member or a lost friend. Maybe your heart is burdened for the lost around the world. Maybe you're concerned enough about your own heart. Do you see it here? The burden affects Nehemiah. In verse 4, it came to pass, first of all, it affected him mentally. He said, I heard these words. He didn't just hear, he listened. It entered his mind. We know the difference between listening and hearing. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to actually listen. Can I get an amen from the wives in the congregation? The husbands that, that we, we listen, but we don't always hear. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Nehemiah not only hears the information, it has entered his mind. He's thought about it. It's affected him mentally. It affects him physically. He said, I sat down and I wept. He is so impacted by this truth, by this information, by the problem, by the situation, that it puts him down. He has to sit down and he begins to weep. I wonder... We say we care about our lost loved ones. We say we care about our spiritual condition and Lord, we need revival and we need to be stirred. Are we to the point where we have been affected so much that we will respond this way? I'm not talking about faking it. I'm not talking about, as they used to say, weeping crocodile tears. I'm talking about genuinely moved without any manipulation or prompting from our own selves. It affected him emotionally. He said, I mourned. He is not only weeping, but he is mournful about He is grieving over this situation. And then it affected him spiritually. He said, I fasted and I prayed. It moved him to a place where he said, this, this is not just a physical problem. This is a spiritual problem. Spiritual success depends on how we respond, especially spiritually, to our level of connection, our burden of connection. I've, been, I've connected with this truth, and it has burdened me. And there are many people that are at that place. They are burdened about the situation. But it's not moved them to act on it spiritually. I hear people who are concerned about our nation, and they're concerned that just like the walls are torn down in Jerusalem, that the walls in our nation are being torn down. And they're worried about their communities, and they're worried about their families. But does it move us to a place where we realize that the deepest need is the spiritual need, and the physical walls in Jerusalem were down because the spiritual walls had come down years before? That's true in our nation. It's true in our families. There are families that can't understand why their families are just blowing apart and they're falling apart, and yet they've never dealt with the deep-rooted sin. Brothers and sisters that are divided, husbands and wives that are divided, moms and dads and children that are divided from each other, and they've never dealt with the spiritual aspect of it. Nehemiah is moved and he fasts and he prays. This level of a burden will move you to a fourth level, and that's a level of change. If you're not willing to make that move, I've seen people walk down the aisle weeping and crying, convicted, and walk out and do nothing different. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. 
I'm going to say that again. Some of y'all just like, wait a minute, they caught the last part of that. Y'all paid attention, y'all hear the whole thing. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Somebody has said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I remember one day I walked out in the yard and I heard this terrible racket. And there was a woodpecker over on the aluminum on the church steeple. And he was trying his best to do something. And I want to tell you something. A woodpecker on aluminum is just not going to work. It makes a lot of noise. Probably gave him a headache. But he didn't get a thing to eat. So doing the same thing over and over. Nehemiah says there's got to be something that changes. What changes? Look in verse 5. First of all, Nehemiah remembers what the problem is. O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keeps covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. He remembers who God is. He remembers that Israel has made a covenant with God and that he is a God of mercy if they will love him and obey his commandments. And from what he remembers, verse 6, he repents. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. He not only repents for himself, he repents for those that he knows. The consequences of, that have happened, Israel being carried into captivity, the wall being torn down, this is not just because another nation was aggressive, this is because Israel had broken God's commandments and broken God's covenants. And he understood that this was what had happened, and he said, I repent, I have sinned, and my fathers have sinned. Are we willing to repent in order for things to be right? Or are we going to continue to justify our sins? Well, it was, it was my parents. It was my grandparents. I'm this way because they're the way they are. He said, I'm going to confess for their sins. They did wrong. And he said, I've sinned too. The walls of Jerusalem were torn down because they sinned. But they continue to be torn down because I have sinned and I repent. Are we willing to follow what God says to us as we correct what He points out as wrong? We will never have revival in our church, our families, our lives, our nation until God's people are willing to repent of what we have done wrong, to repent of our sins. And until we're ready to do that, as long as we justify it, as long as we excuse it, we'll never experience it. And then he returns, verse 9, he says, if you turn unto me, God's, he's quoting God's word back to him in his prayer, if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet I will gather them from thence, and I will bring them to the place that I have chosen to set my name there. He said, God, I want you to remember, this is what you said. You said that if we sinned and we broke your covenant, we broke your commandments, that you would scatter us. And we broke your commandments and we broke your covenant and you scattered us. But you also promised, God, that if we repented, you would bring us back. God has promised that he will do this. This is the same truth, the same God that speaks to us. And he calls to us that if we will make our hearts right, he will draw us back into fellowship with him. 
Our relationship remains the same, but our fellowship can be hindered by our sins. And when we repent and turn, but until we care enough to do something about it, until we are burdened enough to actually change, this is not going to happen. And that brings us to the fifth level that that Nehemiah reaches, and that is the level of commitment. Nehemiah, in his prayers, he's been praying His mind's already beginning to move on to what we'll see in chapter 2 next week, and that is a vision. I'm not talking about a dream. I'm talking about him seeing what this burden can look like being fixed, what this burden can take place. He's already beginning to think, I need to go to the king. And what does he pray? Do you see it there in verse 11? Here's the level of commitment. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. God, prosper me in what I'm about to do. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah knows what he's about to do. Nehemiah is already beginning to get the first stage of a vision about how this burden can come to a good end that this burden can actually accomplish something. And he says, I'm the man. I'm going to willing to leave behind all that I have. I'm willing to give up this great job that I have. I'm going to be willing to leave behind all this that I've known my whole life. And God, I will do whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes because I'm burdened that much about it. It's the same prayer that Isaiah prayed in Isaiah chapter 6. Here am I, Lord, send me. Are we to that point that we will say to God, God, I'm so burdened about my children. I'm so burdened about my neighbors. I'm so burdened about our church. I'm so burdened about our nation. God, I'm burdened about the lost around the world. I will do whatever you want me to do. I will go to the nations. I will go to my neighbors. I will pray every single day for my children. I will speak the truth. I will do what is necessary. Lord, my spiritual condition, I'm burdened about it. And I will repent of sins. And I will turn. I will do whatever you call me to do and whatever you want me to do. Because what you want, your work in my life, is more important to me than anything. And we're burdened about it. And we reach the point that we will say, here am I, send me. You care? Good. So what will you do about it? Will you commit, parents, to the spiritual well-being of your children? that it matters more than any earthly success they might achieve? Who are they with Christ? Who are they with God? Are you more concerned about your marriage, your family, than you are anything else and their spiritual well-being? Are you concerned about your neighbors that are lost? Are you concerned about those around the world? Oh, I care, preacher. Man, that's terrible those people have never heard the gospel. What will we do about it? Here am I, Lord send me. What will you do this morning? What sin needs to be confessed? What commitment needs to be made to say, God, I commit myself to, I'm I'm going to give everything that I have for the spiritual well-being of those around me, those you've placed in my trust. I'm going to do everything I can to walk with you, to be what you want me to be. What level is your burden? In your spiritual life, in the life of others.
May God, by His Holy Spirit, may He burden us today. May He burden every single one of us for the things for which we should truly be burdened. Father, I pray this morning that you will speak to our hearts. I pray that, Lord, we will not push this off. There are some, Lord, this morning that will be, they'll care, they'll see from the word that it matters, but then they're already thinking about their lunch plans. Father, there are some who will be burdened and convicted, but they won't act on it. But I pray today, Lord, that your people, those you are speaking to, will respond. And, Lord, they will call out to you. They will take that step to change and change what needs to be changed in order to accomplish this and they'll commit I'm going to do what it takes as long as it takes to accomplish your purpose in your way in your timing by your power for your glory speak to us Father I pray for those parents that are here this morning and they're burdened about their child's spiritual condition I pray for those children that are burdened about their parents' salvation. I pray for those Christians that are burdened about the spiritual condition of our nation. Lord, I pray for these church members, every one of us. Lord, we want to experience your power and your glory. Burden us.